Uh, well, guys, I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 this morning, and I'm going to start in verse uh, 10. I'll start in verse 10, read to 13, then we'll skip around just a little bit. And uh, this is what the word of the Lord says. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 10, uh, the Apostle Paul writing the church in Corinth that's going through uh, some problems. They've got a lot of problems this morning. We're just going to address one of them, which is divisions in the church. Um, they, they have a lot of other problems too. But, uh, but let's just kind of start uh, with this. And so he says, Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree what you say, uh, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. For it's been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, uh, by members of Chloe's people, that there's rivalry among you. What I'm saying is this, one of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ, Cephas being Peter, by the way, uh, and, and he's, he writes, is, is Christ divided? Was, was Paul crucified for you? And then skip down with me to verse 17. It says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, uh, but to preach. It's because others were saying, Well, I was baptized in the name of Paul. No, I was baptized in the name of Peter. He's like, I, I, I didn't baptize any of you in my name. He says, For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But it is the power of God to us who are being saved. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I'll set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who's wise? Where's the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God, through wisdom God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the uh, Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. And, and we're wrapping this up here. He says, brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many of you were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth, but God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. Uh, perhaps you caught it, our but God moment there in verse 27. I'm going to put the ESV version on the screen for you because the CSB doesn't catch it. Uh, but there it is. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. But God. But God chose what is foolish to shame the wise. So, three things that I want to share with you this morning in relation to this text in 1 Corinthians uh, 1. And, and here's the first. I want you to understand this morning that the cross doesn't make sense to those who place pride in their behavior or intellect. Okay? The cross doesn't make sense to those who put uh, or place pride in their behavior or in their 
intellect, all right? The cross is foolishness to those kind of, of people, and that's kind of what, what's going on. So Paul's writing the church in Corinth. There's these divisions, and some are saying, well, I follow Paul, and some are saying, I follow Peter, and some are saying, I follow Apollos, and, and those divisions are kind of seen throughout the church, and it's because there's two groups of people that are both kind of uh, trying to do the same thing from different angles, and, and so he mentions uh, this. I'll, I'll start in verse 18. He says, uh, for the word of the cross is foolishness. It's foolishness to those who are perishing, right? Uh, uh, but, but it's power, uh, but it's the power of God to those who are being saved. So, so who's perishing? Uh, who's it foolishness to? And we find that in verse 22. It says, for the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, okay? And, and so there's two groups of people uh, in the church uh, and, and they're in the community that are both kind of demanding uh, proof in different ways, and, and they're saying, listen, if you'll do this, then I'll believe. That's, we don't ever do that, right, in our culture. Uh, Lord, if, if you'll just give me that job, then I'll believe in you. If you'll just fix my marriage, then I'll believe in you. If you'll just show me uh, a sign, right? And, and so there's these two groups. The first group is the Jews. And, and we know the Jews, right, led by the Pharisees. The Pharisees have a deep belief uh, that if they can make the nation of Israel, the people of God, if they can force them uh, through moral policing to be righteous enough, then God... God will have to send the Messiah, right? And, and so their whole focus is, is works-based. It's all about uh, what you can do. And so, so they're going, hey, show us some works, right? Show us something. That's how we think. We want to see signs. We want proofs. The other group are the Greeks. Now, now the Greeks, uh, unlike, you know, the, the Jews, the Greeks... Um, well, they believe in afterlife, but in a different sense. They, they don't believe in bodily resurrection of any sense because they actually think the body is gross, all right? They think, the Greeks think the body's pretty disgusting. So the thought that a body would then come back to life, like they're like, nope, I'm out. Um, so, but here's what they believe about afterlife. They believe your soul will live forever. So uh, since your body doesn't, the part of the soul that lives forever for them, the one that you can take with you, is what you think. They believe you can take all your thoughts with you. So the highest uh, form uh, of, of, you know, their society is, is, is philosophy. It's thinking. So they sit around all day and, and they think thoughts. Like, and, and they believe that when they think these really high, complex thoughts about life and how everything works, they think they're kind of convening with, uh, they have a bunch of little g-gods uh, that, by the way, are, are sinful, just like mankind. So they're kind of like, we're kind of like God now. We're kind of convening with, with God. And so um, you've got these people, and they're the same way. They're like, well, I follow Aristotle. No, I follow Socrates. The Jews are like, well, I, I follow... I follow um, this rabbi, or I follow that rabbi. All that stuff has made its way into the church, and those same attitudes are going on, and Paul's kind of addressing that, and he's like, no, 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 um, we don't play any of that. There's one person we follow, his name is, is Jesus, right? And, and, and so what Paul is saying is, listen, this is going to sound like foolishness to people that think the way you're thinking. It's going to sound like foolishness to people that, that are demanding a sign so they want, they want physical proof of the resurrection, or they want intellectual proof of the resurrection. Uh, and, and literally, Paul's going, here's, here's all we preach. The cross of Christ. Jesus crucified. That's the answer. That's it. 
And, and, and what this does, guys, is it confounds, literally, the people that are so works-based and, and the people that are so intellectual. Because they're like, this doesn't make any sense. What do you mean? I, I mean, you've got these intellectual people. I can't even fathom a dead body coming back to life and that that would be God's way of salvation. These people, I demand a sign. And God's like, here's the only proof. Here's the only thing you get. You get my son dying for you on a cross and that's it. You want to go to heaven? Here's the only way. And it, it, it confronts your pride in such a way that it's either demolished and you're required to have faith like a child and go, okay. Or you cling to your pride and you think that it's foolishness. And that is all part of God's plan. In fact, that's fulfillment of God's prophecy. He spoke this Hundreds of years before through the prophet Isaiah, he said, For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. The cross doesn't make sense to those who place pride in their behavior or their intellect. That's the first thing I want you to see. Okay? Second thing I want you to see, though, is that the ordinary Christian doesn't make sense as God's delivery method for the gospel. Talk about foolishness. <laughs> The ordinary Christian doesn't make sense as God's delivery method for the, the gospel. So I, I just want you to look at Paul's reminder to these people. Uh, this is our but God moment that we had a second ago. I'm just going to put it in context by adding another verse to it. So starting in verse 26, he writes, Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many of you were wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful. Not many of noble birth. But God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame. He's talking about us. He's like, you weren't anything, but God chose you. He chose you nobodies. He chose you that didn't know everything. He chose you that, that didn't have your lives together, that weren't perfect, that couldn't do something. God chose you to shame the wise. And again, back to our verse 18, he says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it's the power of God to us who are being saved. Here's the implication in that, y'all. People are being saved. In fact, thousands upon thousands of people are being saved. The fastest movement in the history of the world at this point in time is Christianity. Right? We know at Pentecost, Peter, who's just a mess up like, like you and me, Right? Peter who has a temper. Peter who, who promises things that he never fulfills. You guys have never done that. I'm not making you raise your hand. Peter who's emotional. Right? All of a sudden uh, is impacted. Peter who, by the way, runs and denies Christ three times. Runs away. Peter, uh, God uses him as the first mouthpiece of the church. Holy Spirit comes upon him. He preaches. Not an eloquent sermon, by the way. Do you remember it? Not really hard. He says, you killed Jesus. Repent. Like that's the message. That was the message. 3,000 people saved in one day. Then he's walking to the temple. He's going to pray. There's a lame man. And he, he says, can I have money? You know, silver or gold I don't have. What I do have in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the dude gets up and walks and crowds come. So he preaches his second sermon. Ready? Kind of like the first. You killed Jesus. Repent. And, and 2,000 people are saved. So the church expands. And, and now the people in charge are fearful. So they begin to persecute them. So they run. 
fear for their lives. And as they run, do you know what they do? They tell people about Jesus. Hey, Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross. He rose on the third day. He hung out for 40 days. We watched Him ascend into heaven. And people repented and believed like you wouldn't. Like, like literally, one guy in that movement, the Apostle Paul, right, is who he becomes. He's a guy named Saul. He's actually going to persecute these believers as they run for their lives. And Jesus appears to him and he is saved. And then he becomes a preacher and the first church planter. And, and like, like, listen, people that don't like to give him credit say, well, he only planted seven churches. Other people are like, he planted 14. I want to tell you, I think it was way more than 14. I just want to tell you, the message of Christianity took off like wildfire. And it wasn't because of eloquent preaching, y'all. And it wasn't because it was a bunch of saintly, holy, religious, or really, really smart people. These were average nobodies. They were described as uneducated men that had been with Jesus. And they went out into a world with one simple message that Jesus is the only way that you can be saved. That God sent His one and only Son. That that He died on the cross for the sins of the world. But He defeated death. He rose on the third day. And then He ascended into heaven. And He's coming back. And you have to go tell people. That was the whole message. That was it. That was it. So can I tell you one of my pet peeves, y'all? I get, I get so frustrated with the modern church, right? Because I look back at texts like this, and I think, okay, so here's the Jews think you have to be super holy. Okay? Here's the Greeks think you have to be super smart. Both those groups still in the church today, right? We've got groups that want to morally police everyone else. Got to be super holy for Jesus to come back. That's like, it's not in there. Anyway, uh, and then you've got the people, well, you got to be super smart. So both these people frustrate me to no end, right? I, I, you've got Christians that will spend hours upon hours just, just literally debating big theological concepts. Well, what do you think about predestination? What do you think about post-trip or pre-trip? When's Jesus coming back? Blah, 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 blah. I'll tell you when he's coming back. When us, when we, uh, like, take the word of God seriously, right? I, I, I mean, he, God literally says to us, right, that your job's not to moral police, and your job, you don't have to debate theology, you don't have to go, like, like Paul tries it at one point, he actually tries to go debate Greek, Greek you know, philo- uh, philosophy, and, and literally, the, here's the message, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it's the power of God to us, of us who are being saved. God tells us to go, And to share one simple truth that Jesus saves, right? He literally tells you to go and to open your mouth, uh, which, by the way, is attached to your body, which is held together, in my opinion, by your butt. And he says, get off of that butt, right? Both halves, get off of that butt and go uh, and open that mouth I gave you and share one simple truth. Christ and Him crucified. That's the answer for the whole world. That's the answer. Christians, don't think that the answer for your neighbor is that they stop cussing or that they stop living in sin. Right? The answer is Jesus. He'll take care of that. Oh, Christians, don't think that the answer for your neighbor is that you can prove to them intellectually how Jesus is so much better than every wrong thought they have about the universe. That is his job. Your job is to preach the cross Jesus and him crucified. That's it. And if we'll just get back to that. And, and here's the crazy thing that Paul says. He says literally, y'all, there is power in that. There is power in that. All right? 
So, uh, that's, where, that's where we go. The ordinary Christian doesn't make sense as God's delivery method for the gospel. Third thing I want to share with you, ready? It's this, but, but God uses the Christian to preach the cross in order to prove his amazing grace to the world. I'll say it one more time. There's three blanks in some of these. Y'all are like, I can't even text that fast to fill in these blanks, Pastor. We'll, we'll slow it down, all right? But God uses the Christian to preach the cross in order to prove his amazing grace to the world, right? So that, that, that's our moment. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Paul writes in, in verse 21, For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. He goes on, then in verse 28 and 29, to say this, God has chosen what is insignificant, that's us, and despised in the world, that's us. What is viewed as nothing, that's us. To bring to nothing, that's them. What is viewed as something, that's them. So that, he does all this, so that no one may boast in his presence. So here's the question I have when you think about the cross and you think about the Christian. What's the message? Just the cross. Who, who, who delivers that? Just the ordinary Christian. And so, I don't know about you, I read about God's plan and part of me goes, I didn't have a better plan. <laughs> like, like, surely there was some, I mean, that's what the church in Corinth is saying. They're going, Paul, Paul's just ordinary. There's nothing special about his message. We like that other guy. He's more in-depth than Paul. We like that other guy. He, you know, Peter speaks in more power. Apollos is, is, is just better with words. Paul just seems like nobody. And Paul's like, doesn't matter. None of that matters. It's the cross. It's Christ and him crucified. And ready? It's you. Not me. It's you. The insignificant. We're all. That's us uneducated, ordinary men that God chooses to deliver the gospel. And why does God choose that and not superstars? Ready? Because it's all about Him, not about us. Because otherwise people would be boasting, oh, look what a great preacher I am. I'm such a great evangelist. People do that, by the way. They boast a lot. And God says, no, man. You know what? It's not about the super holy it's not about the people that are super good. It's not about the people that are super smart. And it's not about the preachers that are super eloquent. That's not my plan. My plan is people, ordinary people, going to their neighbors, going to their coworkers, going out in a world that's broken and that's hurting and saying, man, I get you. I'm so sorry that life is tough. Can I tell you, I do have an answer. I'm not perfect. But man, have you considered Christ? Because he died for you. He was crucified for you so that you might have eternal life. And it doesn't mean that every problem in this world will be fixed. But it does mean that you'll be ready to stand before God one day. And I think that's the biggest problem you're facing, if I'm being honest, right? And you, you, right here, I'm looking at you. My job's to equip you, according to the text, right? The Bible says, build up the church, get them ready for service. You're the people that actually deliver the message the best according to God. We preach Christ, and we preach Him crucified, and God chose that method so that nobody could boast, so that everyone would understand it is solely by the grace of God. Okay? So listen, there's a few things we need to do because of that. Number one, this one hurts a little bit. 
uh, we need to lay down our pride. Okay? You say, what do you mean? A couple things. We've talked about two. Both start with W. Works, right, and wisdom. We've got to lay down both those things. We've got to lay down our pride. Jews wanted a sign. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're in a place. You're kind of close. You're here, which is awesome. I'm so glad you're here. But you've had one of those prayers lately. Well, God, if you fix this, then I'll follow you. Whew. Sounds a lot like the Jewish folks. I just demand a sign of you, God. We do that as Christians sometimes too. So maybe that's you. Maybe it's wisdom. I just need you to prove to me intellectually that you're real, God. Just, just prove to me. I, I talked to somebody a couple weeks ago. They just wanted proof that the resurrection is real. And I was like, well, go read. It's the most documented hit, like, event in the history of humankind. There are more sources, uh, uh, the, uh, like talking about the resurrection of Jesus closer to when he actually was raised from the dead than any other piece of literature ever written. I was like, you're in English? Yeah. Have you ever read The Odyssey by Homer? Yeah, we read it. Guess what? It was written 100 years after he was dead. I mean, that, that's when we find the book. Like, the first time is 100 years. I don't doubt that he wrote it. Okay? I don't doubt it. But I'm just saying, like, you, and that's, that's like classic. That's the thing, man. And guess what? There's only so many copies of it. Do you know how many copies of the Bible there are within, like, like way less years from Jesus' resurrection? Like this many. All boasting that the resurrection really happened. Right? So just go study it. Go study it in depth. So we've got to lay down our pride. Uh, by the way, this sounds um, counterintuitive. It's prideful to think that you're not good enough when God says that you are. It's, it's prideful to think that you're not holy enough to share the gospel or that you're not smart enough to share the gospel. That's actually prideful because God has, says you are. So you're going, God, no, I know, I know me better than you know me. That's pride. Right? Doesn't that sound counterintuitive? Like, no, it's not prideful. I'm so humble. I'm, I'm just not smart. And I'm not, my life's not all right right now. It's just, and it's actually prideful to say to the God of the universe that has like, commanded you to go and to share his gospel, just preach the cross and the cross crucif Christ crucified, uh, to say to him, I'm not good enough to do that or I don't know enough to do that. You've got to lay that down. All right? Second, um, you have to pick up your cross. Right? So we lay down our, our pride, and we lay it down, we're open-handed. What do we do? Now we pick up the cross. Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, he's got to deny himself and lay down our pride. He's got to take up his cross, and he's got to follow me. And so for some of you, maybe this morning, that's just faith. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, and today needs to be that day. You say, okay, Jesus, I, 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 I've heard, you've heard plainly, by the way, if you've been at this church over the last month, there's no other way, no other name under heaven and earth by which you may be saved except Jesus. It's the cross and the cross crucified. Uh, it's Christ and on the cross, and it's Christ crucified. That's it. That's the only answer. And so uh, I, I encourage you by faith, but also, man, as believers, guys, what do you think Jesus means when he says, take up your cross daily? He literally means take up the answer that the world is like desperate for. Take up your cross daily, and it should be carried with you everywhere you go. Be my witnesses everywhere you go. Like every time somebody sees you, they see Jesus in you. They see, they, they, they hear the, the cross proclaimed. And there's one way to salvation. There's one way. And I'm not telling you you have to preach the whole gospel to them. The gospel is, though, is not as complicated as we make it. What's the answer? Jesus. He died for you. That could be your whole message. That, that's pretty much Peter's message, by the way. You, 
I mean, you could get more like Peter. You killed him. I'm like, whatever. You want to go that far? Go ahead. But it's just not that complicated. So we have to lay down our pride. We have to pick up our cross. Lastly, we have to proclaim Jesus to the world. So I'll close with a question. Ready? Are you? Are you proclaiming Jesus to the world, specifically the world that starts right here in our little area as Austin has has moved and is continuing to move our way? Do you guys realize the need for the gospel in Elgin now? Right? There used to be a belief, by the way, that in Elgin, Texas, everybody knew Jesus and had been to church. You guys want to bet me on what those statistics look like right now? It's not the same town, is it? By the way, it wasn't the same town when you thought it was that way either. We have more people in this community that need Christ than ever before. And I I want to be very clear. As your staff works diligently to try to plan how, uh, you know, what, what, what will our mindset be when we get into a new facility, how we, we use the facility that God's given us uh, to maximize his glory, what's going to work best in the space uh, that we've planned. Like, like, we're working hard on all those things. In fact, we, we're, we're bringing somebody uh, in uh, to, to help me out, kind of contractual basis, like, like, hey, dude, come, come help me think through how do we do this, somebody that has designed these things before. Like, we're working really hard to plan how to have a maximum impact, but I've got to be honest with you. All we do is provide the structure for you to proclaim Jesus to your neighbors and friends. Ultimately, it all comes down to that. So I've got to ask some questions before we close. Who are you praying for right now? How many, how many people, how many of your neighbors and friends are you praying for right now? You can write this question down. It's okay. It should haunt you. How, how many neighbors and friends are you praying for right now? Or are you just kind of pushing through? Because we've got to stop the pushing through, y'all. People in this community need Jesus. We've got to be focused on Jesus again. We've got to be focused on Christ and him crucified. He is the answer. We're not here to moral police. We're not here to think that we have the the highest intellectual thoughts. We're just here to preach Jesus. I know somebody, you know, like in in my mind, I know you guys may read the Bible differently. You guys may think Peter was the greatest of this. On on this rock, I'm going to build my church. That's cool. I love that. Or Paul, just so theologically great. You want to know one of my favorite disciples? Dude's name was Andrew. That's his name. Like, like I, there, there's about two instances I can think that his name is mentioned. Uh, first, he meets Jesus, and then he goes and gets his brother Peter and says, Peter, you're a wreck. Come meet Jesus. For real. Jesus, I don't know if you can do anything with my idiot brother, but here you go. Uh, there's the rock, okay? So it starts like Jesus and Andrew. Uh, then, feeding of the 5,000, Jesus is like, how are we going to feed him? Uh, everybody's like, I don't know. We don't have enough money. Here comes Andrew with a little boy. Jesus, I don't know what you can do, but here's a little dude. He's got... You know, five loaves and a couple fish. See, you don't have to be Peter or you don't have to be Paul. But there is zero excuse for you not to be Andrew. Zero. Every single one of us has, we could count on our hands over, probably 50 people that need to worship with us every Sunday. You could probably right now think of 10 families. And you know what? I want you to. Like, I was going to hold this off till we hit June, July, and start saying, like, I just start now. Right now, you need to start. Go, go make yourself a list of people that you want to see in church with you and invite them. 
And you know what? Invite the ones that are messed up. Like, if, if you go out to the bar, like, listen, we can talk about that, but invite somebody at the bar with you back to church, right? Just, just make a list. Who are the people that should be sitting in the pew with me on Sunday? Start praying for them. Start inviting them. And listen, we just have a simple message. I think Jesus will change things. He's the whole answer, right? Okay? That's what we got to do. We got to lay down our pride. We got to pick up our cross. We got to proclaim that Jesus is the answer. All right? Would you guys pray with me this morning? Father, thanks for loving us. Thanks for your word. I pray uh, it's received well. God, I pray that these people would understand what a gift they are and, and what a gift you are to them. How cool is it that you invite us into your story and we get to be part of seeing the people that we know and love the most changed by you. But God, we've got to be mindful of them. Lord, it's been a rough two years. I think some of us, our, our mindsets have shifted so much to, to, um, to, to getting by, right? Uh, they, they, they've shifted so inward that it's been a long time since we've just thought about others. God, on each of our hearts, would you put a list of names of people that we could start praying for now that eventually we'll start inviting to join us here in this place that they might find you, the one who changes lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.